How's everybody doing? Um, welcome back to the Snap No Tap podcast for another week. You know, we've been doing this for over a year now. We forgot to actually mention our anniversary, our one-year anniversary, which was like about uh, a month ago, maybe. You know, typical men, we forget anniversaries, I guess. Um, but before we get too into all of this cordiality, I'm going to let Joe introduce our special guest, but I want to interrupt before we announce him and just say, that when I lost my gym uh, four years ago, it'll be five years ago in July, uh, this gentleman who I didn't even know stepped up and said, hey, if Tony needs a spot to do um, seminars, you you can use my, use my facility, my gym. And ironically, his gym was not far from uh, basically my old, not necessarily where I live, but where I hung out in Chicago, which was like awesome. And he has, he had a great facility. He'll, he'll talk all about this. He's got a new facility, though, that really rocks, but um, a sensational uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy and just, a, to me, just a sensational guy to step up and allow us to do some seminars there. And then, unfortunately, you know, he had to move. Things changed. But you know what? I'm, I'm really excited to have him on here. When, when Joe told me this week that Josh was going to be on here, I'm like, awesome. That's, that's awesome. That's great. So, uh Without further ado, I'm going to let Joe take over and do all the proper introductions. Yeah, so I'll do the introductions and pitches. Well, first of all, yeah, welcome, Josh, Josh Bassini. Uh, super happy to have you on the show. It's a great honor. Can't wait to get, get into, the, into the question and answers and hear your story. Um, first, we're going to plug our stuff. Obviously, if you're looking for catch wrestling training, uh, you can't do better than doing the Tri-C program with Choni Cicchini. Check his website out. More Italians Check- today. Yeah, actually, I was going to, I'm going to interrupt the thing is that originally, Josh, I don't know if you knew this, but you know, in the planning of this podcast, one of the uh, potential titles before we came up with Snap No Tap was the, the three Dagos. Um, <laughs> so now we can make it the four, I think. So uh, so maybe there can be a special off, it's like a spinoff show, like the Jeffersons, you know. Um, uh, but anyways, if you're looking for training, um, the, the Tri-C program, it's like a lifetime membership. You get complete access to all of Tony's videos. You get personalized instruction, video learning, or you can go to Tony's place and train with him. Uh, really for bang for your buck, it's really the best for Tony. It's the best for you as a student. You can't beat it, honestly. It's a great deal uh, while it lasts. So jump on that. Uh, highly recommended. For those of you who cannot you know, either buy videos or buy training at that level just yet, the thing you can do in the interim is join our membership program. We have two levels. One is just a thank you membership, kind of showing your support for uh, Tony's teaching and the content we provide for free, you know, every week here on the podcast and on our YouTube channel. Uh, there's a second level, $10 level. 
Uh, that gives you access to additional instructional videos that have not been released yet. This is stuff that we are filming independently and releasing to members of that program. Uh, so anyways, those are our things. Uh, but we'd also, you know, like, you know, our guest here, who's been a big help to us, Josh. Josh, tell us about your school. Where is it at and what can people do to join up? Um, we're in the uh, north part of the of Chicago, Jefferson Park area, um, right off of Milwaukee. Um, and yeah, I mean, the best, the best thing, if somebody's interested in what we do there, um, it's definitely not your traditional Brazilian jiu-jitsu school because we have such a, a diverse mix of, uh, I guess we'll call them techniques or, or, or skill sets or attributes. Um, but yeah, they can just come by and check us out. You know, we have a website, uh, it's 10thplanetchicago.com and just about everything can be found there and then they can reach out to us and then, you know, get on the mats. What are your, when are you there? What are your hours, days, hours and stuff? So we're there basically from um, Monday, Wednesday and Friday. We teach a wrestling class that starts at six. Um, and then we have Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or what we would, I guess, I guess we call it no-gi grappling. It's hard for me to necessarily call it a hundred percent Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu um, because it's not your traditional Jiu-Jitsu. So we have that. Uh, Monday through Friday at seven. And then we have a leg lock specific class. We call it leg lock club at noon on Saturdays. Um, and then we focus predominantly on, you know, leg entanglements and all that fun stuff. So. Good. Yeah. I can vouch people that I don't know his new facility. I haven't been there. I know the area. Um, Cause it's not far from where it, where it used to be. Um, but he ran a tight ship there, nice and clean. Uh, that's a big thing, and especially this was all pre-COVID, but, you know, that I've always mentioned that wrestlers in particular, we're always clean about ourselves, or at least we hope we are, um, because you don't want to get ringworm or anything else like that, right? Ringworm's no good, this and that. When you're in, like, close contact, you know, you want to be clean. So his his facility was always spotless, um, and I would assume now I, had, I would have no reason to think anything different. So I'm actually excited – Right now, I'm, I'm not able to get out from here where I'm at, but if that ever changes, I'd like to take a ride down there and see your new place. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's about three times the size of the old place. Wow. So, unfortunately, the <laughs> the cleaning process every single day is about uh, is about an hour at the end of the night. So, <laughs> um, that's the uh, the blessing and the curse of having such a large facility is the, the cleanup takes forever. <laughs> but it's better to do that than... Like you said, catch Matt Funk. I've been fortunate over the, you know, over 30 years I've been on the mats between wrestling and, and MMA and jiu-jitsu. I've only had a handful of occurrences, um, you know, with ringworm and um, that we're from. And most of them came back in the day from high school. So I've been very, very fortunate. I think the, the cleaning protocols and all the fun stuff that we do um, definitely keeps everybody safe and training and because nobody wants to take any time off, especially for something silly like ringworm or, or something like that. So, you know, about 20 years ago, I, I had a rash on my side and uh, it, it got pretty bad. You know, I'm like, oh, my. I said, man, no, you got to be kidding me. I got ringworm. So um, I went to the, to the, to the doctor and uh, she's like, no, uh, you don't have ringworm. I says, well, what do I have? She goes, you have shingles. I'm like, oh, man, shingles. Because I had... Um, chickenpox as a kid but ironically i didn't have that great pain that everybody talks about when they have shingles like you can't even touch it mine wasn't that bad honestly my pain wasn't wasn't like over the top but yeah that was the first thing i thought of man i caught ringworm somehow and i 
like you, you said you caught it in, in high school. Uh, I thought I caught it at the college. I thought that I got it at Triton College. But, um, nope, turned out it wasn't, so. The best skin condition I ever had, um, since we're talking about that, was uh, I had an allergic reaction to, uh, uh, I think, penicillin. Like, I found out. But it had built up in my body and broke out. I had hives all over my body. I looked like an, a toxic Avenger, boy. Ooh, that was uh, as far as things you don't want to have happen to you, man. It was like to head to toe itch and bad news. So what about you, Nico? You had any bad rashes? Uh, I had... <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. We don't have Nico's video um, today for some reason. So. Yeah, it's not, it's, not, it's not working right now. The worst thing I ever had was Bursa. I had it on my arm. Oh, shit. And uh, I, th- I thought it was a spider bite because some- sometimes a spider bite will swell up. And I kept, you know, I kept training and stuff and I was taping it up. And then it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And then it almost looked like there was a baseball yeah. under my arm. And I- then finally, I was like, I got to get this checked out because it didn't feel right. And yeah, it was MRSA. Wow. That stuff's serious, man. Is that- isn't that the flesh eating virus or whatever? Or- Anyway, it's, you know. it's it's basically like a huge boil. I mean, it gets infected and it starts eating away in the tissue, and uh, it's, it was filled with pus. So it's kind of, kind of disgusting, actually. But um, well, I'm not going to. It can be bad. Sure. <laughs> you, you just wrecked all that for me. <laughs> so this is a public service announcement all to out there, out there. Make sure your mats are clean because there's a lot of things that you can catch from them for sure. Well, you know, training. I'm. I'm allergic to penicillin, but I guess when I was a little infant, it almost killed me. But I got to tell you, I was going through this phase. um, This was in around 2006, 2007, 2005, that span, where I was allergic to everything. I couldn't eat chicken, any kind of chicken, right? Whole chicken, fried chicken, whole food, you know, antibiotic-free, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So um, my fiance at the time, uh, it's late at night. She got off the Italian, off, she worked in an Italian restaurant. We go back to her place. Her brother had made tilapia. Okay, it was good. It really tasted good. I ate the whole plate. I'm on my second plate. And now everything's swelling up. She, her son was there. He screamed because my whole face was full of like, it looked like I had the measles. I was just filled with redness all over. And then it, it attacked my, my throat. I couldn't speak. I couldn't breathe. She had some liquid Benadryl for him, for her son. She tried to get that down my throat, right? I couldn't swallow it. Well, we knew that this was critical. We couldn't wait for 911. She gets me in the car, gets me to the emergency room, and um, they rushed me right in. They didn't even ask for uh, hospitals, you know, uh, insurance forms or anything. They got me right into the damn um, uh, emergency room there. I would have died. I mean, that was, I had stopped breathing. I, I couldn't breathe. And um, yeah, so you never know. So I, I always used to carry Benadryl with me, like pills in my car, everywhere I went. All of my friends, I forced them to have Benadryl because you just never knew with me. I, sometimes it was like I could eat a hamburger and all of a sudden my tongue is swollen or I can't, you know, I can feel like it's hard to swallow. It's just weird. What's the but, thing with those food allergies, man? Because you never know how they prepare it. So you don't know what your food's touching, you know? And uh, yeah, it can, it can, people can die from that. They keep those EpiPens on them if you're really hyper allergic to it. So you have to like, cause yeah, you can't swallow medicine necessarily. Well, my doctor, my internist didn't think that I had a t- traditional food allergy. Okay. She thought it had something to do with my stomach 
And um, I, I don't know if it was an endocrinologist or something she wanted me to go to see. I just never did. But, you know, it, it cleared itself up. But now and then, if, if I eat something, especially chicken, I can feel like it wants to start. Something something funny. Um, but so now that we kind of got our life story a little bit out of the way, let's get Josh's life story. <laughs> Ask him how um, – let's find out, Josh, about – how you started in wrestling or whatever your background is. If you don't mind sharing it with us, we'd love to hear it. Of course. So I come, I'm like, a, I guess what they would call like a second generation wrestler. Both my uncle and my father um, wrestled in, uh, in and around the uh, Chicago area. My dad um, was, was pretty accomplished. Um, and his primary focus or what he excelled the best at was Greco. So the beauty of, of what kind of like the, the upbringing that I had, um, was that we had no like normal playtime. Like as, as you all know, when you're a, a grappler or a wrestler, that kind of takes over life and that never really ever goes away. So like normal playtime for us was mat work, you know, on the, on the, uh, you know, on the living room floor. And uh, it just was something organic that we just did basically my whole life. Um, and then I started uh, competitive wrestling Um and, you know, my dad was really focused on not letting me get burnt out because um, I think he got burnt out, especially once he made his way all the way to college. Um, so he was kind of aware of that. So they, he kind of kept me up, kept me back from uh, from too much competition so I wouldn't get too uh, uh, too burnt out. And I was pretty successful, um, whether it's natural or epigenetics or whatever, whatever you believe in. Um, uh, it, it came very uh, probably too easy for me. Um, easy enough to where I, I probably didn't have to work as hard as many of the other kids, which ultimately could, it was probably my downfall. Um, if I would have had to work a bit harder to, to be successful, I, I probably would have uh, um, maybe even had more success. Um, so that started and I wrestled through high school. Um, I was very fortunate to have some uh, really amazing coaches above and beyond, you know, my dad, and my uncle, one of them is in the uh, Illinois wrestling hall of fame. His name is Jeff Marabella. He, unfortunately passed when he was actually it's going on like 20 years or so so I was like the last generation that was kind of taught through Jeff although he was pretty young um it was right basically right when he got done from college um at Northwestern so he was like 20 maybe like 28 years old and we were like 15 16 years old so it was almost like having a, an older brother on the mats and he was still heavily active so it was very intense training um he eventually left uh, coaching when, when he didn't, when his wrestling career ended and he left to go to the, to the SEAL teams. So to kind of give an, an idea of um, he was preparing himself to go to that elite level of the military while he was training us for wrestling. So it was pretty, it's pretty intense. I was probably arguably the, one of the best times of my life, although it was probably one of the most brutal times. And, and as we all know from the training that, that you've done in, in the past and the stories that I've heard from Javier, um, you know, that that intense training, though, is really hard on the body, is absolutely yeah. amazing for the mind and all that. Um, and then I had a short departure a couple of years. I took off. I was playing um, high level competitive paintball and then traveled all over the world doing that. And when I kind of aged out of that world, I decided that MMA was the thing for me get back to my wrestling roots. And then that's how I found Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. 
though I didn't believe when I, when I first started training that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was really all that it was cracked up to be. I figured my wrestling um, was going to help nullify all that, which on one hand, it, it kind of does. Um, and then you get submitted with like a triangle choke one time and you're like, all right, I need to learn this so that this can never happen to me ever again. And, you know, trans, you know, go through, God, I don't even know how long it's been. <laughs> 15, 16, 17 years of, of uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu training. Um, and then I kind of put those two worlds together. And for me, that's what I believe is, you know, kind of the end-all be-all. You know, it's kind of taking all the good stuff, whether it's from, you know, catch or whether it's from, um, you know, Greco freestyle folk style and infusing that with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu submissions, um, I think makes a really, really cool uh, fusion that is unique and so that's kind of what what we do and that's why i have a hard time calling what i do brazilian jiu-jitsu because it's very much not brazilian jiu-jitsu um so that's why we just refer to it as nogi grappling so well said yeah i kind of i i i got this thing with of course i didn't do jiu-jitsu but i came from boxing before wrestling so as a kid so the, yeah i get all about the blending uh and putting it together so like long before mma when people would say, oh, you're a wrestler or, or whatever. Well, okay, I'm, I'm a wrestler, you know, but I'm not a wrestler. Like, you know, like they would think, you know, like a high school guy or a college guy, because we have all the submissions and no emphasis on pinning and, and I like to strike. So I get exactly where you're coming from. And it's, it's kind of hard to, um, to explain to the people who don't, who aren't even in this world, you know? So, um, just the other day, as a matter of fact, uh, the, uh, the county, they came over to check on my mom and the lady was talking to me, oh, what is it that you did? You know, and I, I just said boxing, wrestling, martial arts. That's pretty much how I, I just cover it that way because you know, they're not going to know any different. So Josh, did yeah, you definitely. start out with the uh, 10th, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu or how did you find out about 10th Planet? So uh, a, a buddy of mine um, did one of those wild Gogo Plata chokes to me when I was very, very fresh in. Um, and I was like, wow, that's, that's wild. I don't know how he got his foot in between both of our faces and now is choking me with it. You know, as, as a, you know, an, an eager young wrestler, I'm just, you know, like a bull, I'm just driving forward, caught myself in that gnarly submission. And I was like, wow, that was, that was the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, what is that? And then he's like, oh, it's this, you know, 10th planet jujitsu stuff. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. I'd like to be able to do that to somebody one day. And then I realized that it was going to be a long departure because I wasn't flexible enough to put my foot <laughs> to my own face. Um, but that's kind of how I found the, the system. And then I found real, um, real quickly that there were some components that were far too familiar to the wrestling that I, I was taught when I was a kid, which is, you know, there were things like the, the twister or what they refer to as the wrestler's guillotine, although the intention in wrestling is different versus, you know, going for a submission. There was a lot of things like the dogfight system and the lockdown and, and all that fun stuff that we had, I had already done in wrestling. And I was like, well, this is really strange for me. Like this is called jujitsu, but I did all, almost all this stuff in wrestling minus like the, the, the guard work. So obviously there's no guard work in wrestling. So and I was like, okay, well, then this is going to be a relatively fast learning curve per se um, to kind of get somewhat confident in these skills. And then I found there was a lot of techniques that really kind of kept me safe in MMA. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of dive deep into this. 
you know, the, the open-minded thought, you know, process of, you know, my coach Eddie has never uh, told me that I'm not allowed to learn anything or not allowed to do anything. You know, the beauty of the system was we just had to show competent competency in the system and then we could train whatever we want. So it was, you know, nobody stifled the creativity or nobody said that you can't do this or you can't cross train with somebody or you can't, you know, blah, 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 blah. A lot of the traditional stuff that you would, you, you would see. And so that open-mindedness and, and all that fun stuff is kind of what set me on that path. Um, I, I never really had, uh, I never really wanted to start a school, especially when I started, I just, you know, I just wanted to compete and I found that the system worked well for me and my attributes. And then somewhere along the line, um, I started teaching some guys and here we are. <laughs> you know, well, that's great to hear that your coach was open-minded because back in the nineties, when, you know, I was teaching a lot of guys, they had to be hush hush about it because their jujitsu coaches were like, you can't train not only with me or somebody else, you can't even train at another jujitsu school. You know, they were like really, um, you know, it, it was a bad scenario. And then talking to Javier a couple, two, three years ago, excuse me, Javier said, yeah, things kind of have changed. You know, people are a little bit more um, open now, you know, and that's good. That's, that's just a good thing. Cause you know, I, I remember vividly my coach telling me, well, there was no other grappling, but about the boxing, he, he was emphatic that I continue keep striking, keep doing, you know, incorporate all of that. Um, yeah. He never once said, don't do that. The only time he would say, don't do that is if I was performing something, um, not well, or it may have left me open for, for something. And he would say, look, this is what I would do to you. And, you know, boom. So that's great. I'm glad to hear that you're doing that. I hope more, more instructors are like that, you know, just more open-minded. So Josh, you correct me if I'm wrong. Are you are the first person to start a 10th planet school in Chicago? Is that right? Yeah, I've had a, I've had a 10th planet affiliate for over 10 years now. Um, I started, uh, there was no 10th planet and that's kind of, you know, how I got down the path of, of teaching is, you know, is, is, uh, as bold as it was to think about, I saw very early on how important the system could be, you know, to, to somebody, especially fighting MMA, which is kind of all where it all started. It was fighting MMA. Um, I was not that I haven't trained in the gi before because I have, um, I don't like it, um, in the sense of, uh, I like the challenge and the athleticism that comes with no gi. And once again, it's kind of where my roots came from. So I'm not used to wearing all this, you know, material and all that, all that fun stuff. So, um, so yeah. So when I, when I started the school, I was like, this is going to be beneficial for, for me, especially. And then, you know, as everything else, I'm, I needed training partners because I was continuing to, uh, um, I, I was going to continue to fight and do all that. And then, you know, and then it kind of came from there and then, you know, guys like, Javier and, and a bunch of my older, older guys that are, that are, you know, we still with me today. We kind of just started training together, very small, um, you know, for probably about four, three or four years, we only had like 15 guys that, you know, would come throughout the month. So it was, uh, it was never like a, a big school. Not that it's a, it's a huge school now in terms of population. I mean, I have some friends throughout the country that have like 800 students, which is insane to me to, to think about. Um, but I, our, our training facility isn't quite that big. It's definitely a, a bit more intimate. Uh, you know, we're definitely trained harder. Um, it's not for the, <laughs> it's not for the weak at heart, I should say. Um, 
but uh but yeah so that's kind of how it all it all started there wasn't anything in chicago that uh you know that was really calling to me once i once i had left the mma team that i was in um which i was fortunate i got to train with a lot of people that um you know had trained with you guys back in the day guys like shoney carter and, and um a lot of those guys we were all kind of all had migrated through the same worlds through mma and you know then we just kind of you know i started this gym and then we just kind of went from there so Shoney so, was uh, about a year or so ago he was a real cool guy i shoot i'm oh man i've known shoney maybe 20 years or something like, it's been a long long time you know i can't like you i can't keep track of all the shoney was was great and we, we just had jason godsey on a couple weeks ago another great well he's not from here he was from indiana at the time indianapolis but another monster guy really really nice um yeah we had a lot of guys blow through the gym um but no this is see this is the thing it's it's very interesting because like you, I've always been more combat oriented, like, you know, hard, hard stuff. You know, it's coming to train is not easy with us, you know, or with me, you know, it's, it's very difficult and it's not cut out for everybody. Um, but I'm more geared towards street fighting, but I, I like to, you know, we work with the sport world because that's pretty much all anybody wanted for the longest time. But um, yeah, it's rough. I, I've been to a lot of jujitsu schools where it's kind of like, yeah, it's nice and easy. It's more family oriented. It's more fun. Uh, it sounds to me like your training regimen is not based around let's have fun. Let's let's give it our all. And and I like that, you know. And that I, makes. I'd, I'd like to say we have fun, but you know, I it's definitely one of those scenarios where uh, where I guess you know I've got a jaded perspective of what fun is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're so, like me. Yeah. Yeah, when I see Jay, when I see Joe Cardinal, pretty much when his, there's tears in his eyes, yeah, that's fun. That's that's what I call. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's you know, it's a shame that Nico's camera isn't on. But um, you know, when the first time I met Nico, uh, I didn't know what to expect. You know, you don't never you don't know what to expect. I I, I learned through the years to like um, when people are emailing me, they'll kind of give me like a resume or, or like a background history, which is fine. But most of the time, it's not really accurate. Uh, Nico was really nice, you know, because he was one of these guys that also had a, a wrestling background. Uh, and he did a little jujitsu and was looking for the more aggressive, aggressive, because I guess the school that, well, Nico, maybe you can discuss that, you know, your your thing. Uh, about how I met you or how I started oh, training with you? about me but just you know why you know the, 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 you know the different styles of jiu-jitsu schools that you've been through oh well I, I trained primarily in uh more of mma type schools so there was a lot of emphasis on no gi which that's what i liked you know and that's why i was kind of attracted to the the catch wrestling because transitioning from wrestling to to the catch wrestling submissions is i mean everything is just it, it just flows really easily you know which you know going to gi uh jujitsu is more unnatural to me so yeah i was just i just i like the approach that you have and um but i, I was just wondering so josh you used you, you came up in 10th planet jujitsu and your coach was basically in california right so how how did you how did you guys develop the system? Were you doing like videos and, and learning through videos or Zoom or something like this? Or, or was it just flying out there? How did that work out? 
It was a, yeah, it was a combination of, of a lot of things, especially back in the day, you didn't, you know, it wasn't quite as easily accessible with the, although the internet was around, it obviously, as we all know, it certainly wasn't what it, what it was. So, um, I, I basically had to reach out to Eddie and, uh, pester him. Um, I found out later on that that was kind of like his, uh, his litmus test to see how, how, uh, how bad somebody wanted to, to really kind of get into the system, especially in more of like a remote fashion. Cause yeah, I was, I was based in Chicago. I've always been based in the Chicagoland area and um, headquarters is in Los Angeles. So I had to spend, especially in the, in the, the beginnings of the system, it took me about a year and a half to get my uh, or somewhere. Yeah. About a year, year and a half to get my affiliate approved through Eddie. So it was a lot of travel, um, a lot of training um, remotely, um, the closest, uh, we call them moons, the closest affiliate was eight hours away. So I basically, uh, leave work on Friday night and drive o- basically overnight to get there in the morning for like a Saturday class and then take a private lesson. So, you know, so that's kind of how it started. And then I did that for a pretty long time and travel all over the country, attending seminars and all that fun stuff. And then eventually throughout you know, all those interactions and, you know, Eddie watching me, you know, uh, you know, present the moves through, through seminars and learning and all that fun stuff. Um, he eventually, uh, approved the affiliate. He was, um, he was pretty, pretty hard on me in the sense of, you know, when we, when we started out and I told him what my intentions were, he said I was crazy. Cause at the, at that time I was unranked, you know, so we would generally refer to that as a white belt in jujitsu, which is kind of, I, I know plenty of guys that are unranked in jujitsu that destroy black belts with, with ease, um, you know, because they've been on the mats forever. So, so he basically said, he's like, listen, you're going into a, into a city or you're going to open up into, into a city that has most of those gyms have more black belts than you may have students for many, many years. He's like, it's not going to go well. People aren't going to like you. He's like, so are you sure that you're ready to do this? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I really don't care what everybody else says because I believe in the system. Um, and I believe in, in what we plan on doing. So I just went for it. And it was, uh, it was rough for a really, really long time. Um, and then eventually I found a bunch of like-minded guys. And you know, here we are today, the majority of them, the majority of those original guys are still training with us today. So we're, we're, we're doing something right. So Very good. Yeah. That's the distance thing, like what we offer, but I was saying before on many podcast uh, podcasts, my music teachers, the guys that I know or, or knew they, most of them in the past, they did the same thing. They would fly. One guy would fly from Chicago all the way to LA then he'd have to take a cab from L.A. to Hollywood, from the airport to Hollywood, show up for his one-hour music lesson, and then either get back on the airplane that night or he would just spend the night at a motel and go back. There was no – I mean, this is dedication. Another one of my students um, – uh, my instructors, when he was a kid still, would hop the Greyhound bus from Cleveland to Chicago just to study music. Um, matter of fact, both of my stu- uh, instructors in Cleveland, music teachers, did the same thing. Um, not together either, separately. So I'm like you, Josh. When you, if you want something, you believe in something, don't make excuses. And this is what I keep preaching about on this podcast. If it's to come to train with you or to train with me or to train with anybody else, don't put it off because eventually you may not have that opportunity. Um, 
I look back now, I used to have to take a minimum of two buses, sometimes three buses to learn how to wrestle when I, uh, when I was a kid before I got my driver's license. And I think back now, you know, I'm almost 60 years old. Would I do that? You know? Um, yeah, I, I would, if I, if I would, if I had to, you know, it was just, um, I remembered not to derail it, but my gym used to be in Bensonville, you know, right by O'Hare airport. Exactly. Um, and I would get emails from people in Chicago wanting to train with me, but they're like, Bensonville's too far to go. So not that I had a litmus test like Eddie Bravo, but those are people I don't, I wouldn't want to train. You know, if you can't, if you can't drive 25, 30 minutes. Oh, come on. You know, you don't want it bad enough. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, many of my students um, would drive an hour and 15 each way to come yeah. to like a two hour class. And that's when I started kind of changing how I, I ran the traditional class structure and a lot of, a lot of gyms classes an hour long. And then they're like, all right, you know, it's, let's say it's 40, let's be generous and say it's 40 minutes worth of technique. Um, and then, you know, rolling and all that fun stuff. So when I started realizing that my guys were traveling, you know, daily, three hours, almost three hours in the car just to come and train. And I'm like, I feel, I feel like I'm not providing them the right, uh, you know, the, the right service based on what, how far they were traveling. So that's when the training session started turning into, you know, a two hour class, you know, or close to it. And then an hour of rolling. So at least the, you know, granted it's a big time commitment for the guys, but at least they're going to, you know, if they're, they're spending an hour, hour and a half in the gym or an hour on the, on the way to the gym, you know, they're going to spend a couple hours in there. We're going to sit and talk. We're going to troubleshoot. We're going to go through a decent amount of technique. So if they can only come once or twice, or maybe even, you know, once every other week, I would have some guys that would travel from, you know, Indiana, they would travel from Wisconsin. So they can only come in once a week with their schedules. So I wanted to make sure that it made sense to them and they were going to get enough technique to then go back home and then work on it. Or, you know, I'd let them video. A lot of times people get weirded out about video and stuff. I let my, all my students take videos of what we're going over um, throughout the week. So that way, if they can't come in, they can grab their girlfriend, their buddy, whatever it is, if they're distance learning, you know, um, and then that I think was a big hit for guys as well. Cause it made sense to come into the gym for three hours, get a bunch of work in, you know, we got some fitness equipment at the gym as well. So they would knock that out and, you know, kind of go from there. So. Well, you care. See, that's the thing. You're, you're one of these conscientious guys or coaches or whatever you, however you want to get labeled, you know, they'd actually give a damn. And um, sadly, there's just, there, there's the other end of the spectrum too. Um, I'll say this because I was given the permission to say this. One of my music teachers, he, um, he passed away a lot of years ago. Um, Sammy Caparo, he lived in Barrington. He's a Chicago guy. But he would he was the guy that would fly from Chicago to L.A. Um, and then bus it, uh, cab it over to Hollywood to study with uh, a legendary, not only a jazz accordionist, jazz musician, but an innovator. His name was Tommy Gamina. He made a polytone amplifiers, okay? He had an electronic mind. But uh, uh, when, when both of these guys are still alive, Sammy Caparo told me that if I ever ran into Tommy Gamina, you could tell him that Sammy Caparo says to shove it all up his ass because, uh, because Tommy Gamina wouldn't – it was one hour on the clock, shook his hand and said goodnight. Now, hey, let's stop for a drink. Let's go get something to eat or, you know, 
I mean, the dude flew in, and this is in this probably like the eighties or something. You know how much an airplane ticket was from Chicago to LA back then, round trip. So yeah, and um, and then he had a couple other things to say, but the the biggest thing was he wouldn't even spend any like even five minutes of social time with the guy. Uh, that's just tragic, you know. Um, I never met Tommy Gamina. I saw him in concert. Okay, I said hello to the guy. That's the extent of it. But it's weird because Tommy Gamina was from Milwaukee. So he's from this area. And Tommy Gamina started his studies with a, with an instructor named Andy Rizzo, an accordionist named Andy Rizzo. And um, so did so did Sam. You know, Sam studied with Andy Rizzo when Sam was a kid. So they had all these kind of connections and shit. And, you know, this is what, you know, that's all that Sam got. So I'm really liking the stuff I hear from you, Josh, because this is what it's all about, man. You know, opening up your your heart, your, your gym, your home, whatever it is to people who, who um care. But just be careful. You know this. You've been in it long enough. Some people yeah. take advantage <laughs> and burn you. But you're, you're my yes. kind of. Yeah, it's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. But, you know, you know, kind of take the, the good with the bad. Uh, in, in those contexts. And as the years get over, we, we become a bit more sly to sniffing that out. Yeah. You know, you kind of nip it in the butt before, you know, before those, those scenarios come in. But, you know, before we get too deep into it about me, I would like to talk about you because I've trained with a lot of coaches, you know, you know, legends, you know, I, I, I'm very fortunate through the connection with the 10th planet system to train with, you know, jujitsu legends like Jean-Jacques Machado and stuff like that. So I've, I've got to learn some, from some amazing, amazing instructors. And what I can say is that, you know, when I came in and, and did the, uh, I guess, training seminar, the, the like clinic, it's called a clinic uh, that you did at the gym. I've never felt more horrifying things done to my body, <laughs> <laughs> which was amazing for me <laughs> uh, to go, wow, that's different. And, uh, and so, you know, so not that I, I wasn't, you know, sold on, uh, on, on what you brought to the table. Um, because I came, you know, a lot of the stuff that, that I, that I had learned was what we would call dirty wrestling, right? It was like things that you were not necessarily sportsmen like that you shouldn't probably do in like a, a sporting wrestling match, but that, you know, sometimes gets you the outcome that you were looking for a little bit better. It was, it was a, a, a gnarlier style of training, a bit more brutal, definitely tougher on the body not very sportsmanlike, um, you know, and that kind of carried over. So when I, when I felt the things that you did, I'm like, Oh, this is, this is real, you know, and I know there's years, there's always, you know, every, everybody's talking trash online, no matter who you are, whether it's the, the, the top, you know, guys in the sport, somebody's always got, you know, something to say. And, uh, the, the unfortunate thing is, is people don't spend the time to, to kind of do their own litmus test to see, wow, is this real? Is this not? And uh, still to this day, like the double wrist lock details are uh, are absolutely uh, game changing, you know, and I've only just kind of scratched the surface on on the technique that you have. So I would like to not only as as you said such nice things about me, I want everybody out there to, to know that, man, you're definitely the real deal. And uh, and so it's uh, uh, if you if you want to add some really fun stuff to your game that I, I suggest checking out all the programs that you offer as well. So well, that's, that's awful nice of you. And I mean, it sincerely. Um, yeah, you know, I've had a long journey. I was 
Oh, I don't want to go down that path. But you mentioned, you brought up the Machados, and I've always heard good things about the Machados for 20 years or whatever it's been, since the 90s, 25 years. My, my goodness. Um, I never met a Machado. I did meet um, uh, Henzo Gracie once, who was very friendly, very nice. Um, but yeah, you know, everybody should bring something different to the to the table. I've never heard what I do called fun, but <laughs> that's cool. But I see this is what blows my mind about guys like yourself. So you, you you did the wrestling, you wanted more, you know, you needed you needed those submissions or 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 what have you. You found it, you know, you found your niche, which is awesome. And yet you're still open-minded about other things. And that's how it was, that's how it should be with a lot of people. Um I just have a little issue with some guys who aren't, I mean, the stuff that they do not jujitsu related, but just, you know, you've seen martial art, guys, like pressure, you know, this uh, touch knock. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's right. where you don't even touch the guy and they, they fall all over the place. Those that that's like, you know, silly stuff to me. I don't get it. Um, and yes, I've had these guys try to pressure point me. It don't, doesn't work. Uh, at least it didn't end me. I never had anybody do the, the psychic stuff to try to knock me over, but, uh, <laughs> Um, but no, that's really nice to hear. I really appreciate it. The, the, the odd thing is that I always keep to myself, right? I don't go on the internet forums. I haven't been on a forum in almost 20 years. Um, but you're right. There, I was doing, since I'm homebound, I'm trapped. I go on YouTube a lot, not for martial arts or anything like that, just to relax. Music, I listen to different, you know, jazz musicians or the stuff I'm into. And I can't read the comments, man. Because you got like like Buddy Rich, who's just a, a phenomenal, the greatest to me, the greatest drummer of all time. Regardless of if you like somebody else, the guy was legendary. He he gets trashed, man. The, the guy's been dead since 1987. They're still dragging him. They're digging him up and, and scattering his bones and stepping on him and shit. What's wrong with these people? I don't get it. <laughs> Josh, do you get a lot of hate from the BJJ community, or, or did you in the past? Oh, there is a, <laughs> there are some very entertaining things out in the, in the, maybe not so much the social media world. Cause this is pre heavily social media, but yes, we got a lot of hate, you know? Um, uh, and a lot of, you know, it, it hasn't happened in quite some time, but there was definitely times in the past where we got like dojo rated and all that fun stuff. But yeah, there's, there's always been a lot of hate. Um, unfortunately, you know, fortunately a lot of that is, is gone away. Um, I think a lot of that originally in the beginning was based on like that, you know, everybody talks about that scarcity mindset and you know, the, the reality is, is that, you know, there's maybe a finite amount of competitors uh, in the grand scheme of things. There's always going to be a fresh crop of competitors coming in, but there's, you know, even of my students, I would say probably 80%, maybe 85% of my students have never competed and they never will compete. And so you know, when, when people are out there trashing other people, um, a lot of those are those people that are, uh, you know, are worried that there's not enough grappling to go around, which there absolutely is. And, and, and we can definitely tell that as you, you see some of the crazy numbers that like BJJ fanatics, when somebody puts out a tutorial and a lot of these tutorials aren't great, or it's information that is, that is, uh, has been recycled or, um, you know, has been just slightly tweaked um, and they're, they're selling, you know, hundreds of thousands of downloads so that there is, there is opportunity out there for everybody. So I think that scarcity mindset and that closed minded mindset of you can't train with anyone else and all that stuff 
Um, I think that where that's where a lot of that came from. And then on the other hand, there's people that that's their pastime. They just go online and they, you know, they, they just mess with people online because they find it entertaining. I don't quite understand that world. I, I'm not a huge online, you know, I don't have a big, uh, you know, following or anything. You know, I think part of that was the upbringing that, you know, many of us had, you know, in, uh, in, in the, in the worlds that we grew up in, it was very important to keep your mouth shut. You know, it was nobody's business, what anybody's doing and, and, you know, outside of the, you know, the family and, and all that. So I think a lot of that is carried over um, with, so a lot of us just kept to ourselves. We keep our mouth shut. We don't, you know, make a lot of noise. Um, it's bad for business. I'm well aware of that, but, yeah. uh, but, but, you know, that was the world that I grew up in. That was what was oppressed upon me by my parents is, you know, there were a bunch of like tenants, you know, and I, I pass this on to my kids too, as well, but it's like, keep your mouth shut. It's nobody's business. What's going on. You know, you know, don't talk about stuff that you don't know about, <laughs> you know, like it's all that old school, you know, probably a lot of immigrant mentality, a lot of, you know, uh, stuff that's been carried over that maybe doesn't necessarily apply per se, but you know, that's, and I'm not trying to be famous. That's the other thing is like, I have no, uh, I have no want or anything to, to that. If anyone really knew who I was, I just want to be able to spread uh, the knowledge that I have and, and the art that we go through. That's really all that I care about is just sharing the knowledge. Cause one day we're all not going to be here. And that, uh, that information, you know, may die. I had a, I had a friend, his name's Javi Vasquez. He's an MMA fighter, fought in the UFC, and, you know, very accomplished grappler. Um, is he on the uh, channel he, today? Yeah. Yeah. Javi yeah. Vasquez. He's been around forever, right? Yeah. For I think I might have met him. I think I met him. Yeah. Sure. Very possible. He fought, you know, back in the days. Javier, Javier Showtime Vasquez. He wrestled and college wrestler and all that. An amazing grappler. And he had a health scare. And then he realized he's got to put like all that stuff that's in his head and he's got to put it down on, on, on paper. So he's been in the process for many years, um, creating like, uh, almost like an encyclopedia, not really an encyclopedia, but more like a, like a college, um, workbook of all of his grappling, you know, uh, discoveries and, and, and all that fun stuff. Um, so, so yeah, it's like, that's all I'm looking to do is share what's in my brain, you know, and, and, you know, get out there and have a good time, stay on the mats, stay healthy and, you know, keep this ball rolling. So well, that's, that stay healthy part. That's the most important. And that's sometimes the yeah. most elusive, especially, yeah. you, know, you know, I want to piggyback off of this a minute because I don't, I don't think I've ever mentioned this before. Um, I'm going to throw out some numbers here, some dates so people can kind of keep this in, in a frame of mind. So I started studying jazz accordion when I was 21, 1985 with a guy in Cleveland named Ronnie Moon. Um, he blew my mind. I mean, just, un, un, wow. Oh man, jazz on the accordion. I can't believe this. Blah, 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 blah. I worshiped the guy. Okay. I mean, I did. He was like a father to me and I studied and studied and studied. So I don't know, about a year, um, this guy named Jerry Sigler, who was originally from Cleveland, but had moved to Chicago. This is the guy I mentioned earlier today that as, at 16 years old was taking a bus to study in Chicago. He ends up living in Chicago. Well, he comes back to visit. And Ronnie's like, we're all meeting up at this place called Yerman's. Joe, you were there in Cleveland with me at Yerman's. That's where, you know, with the nice female bartender and everything. So Ronnie says, bring your accordion. You're going to listen to Jerry Sigler. He's the best in the country. You'll never hear anybody better than him. Well, I had one of those moments that 
I've, I've only had like three times in my life. When I heard Jerry play, it, it was, it, it changed my life. Okay. Kind of like you, Josh, where you had to go to LA and, and study. I knew then I had to move to Chicago. This is 1986. I said, I know I have to go to Chicago eventually. And I got to learn from Jerry Sigler, man. He's so the next year I ended up, I just, the hell with it. I said, I'm going to Chicago. And Jerry wouldn't teach me. <laughs> it was kind of weird. It took a long time for him to teach me. But the moral here is, you know, Ronnie didn't hide Jerry from me. Ronnie's like, do it, do it, do it. Train, train, train. Study, study, study. Now, here's the negative. I started studying with Jerry. And, I'm, you know, I'm doing these, like, pretty advanced stuff for the time. I go back to Cleveland. I go to see my grandmother. I go to a music store. They have an accordion. I'm like, hey, you mind? You guys mind if I play? I put the accordion on and I'm jamming. And these guys are like, holy shit, my God, man. Who's your instructor? Who ta- or who's your, who's your teacher? I said, Jerry Sigler with, with pride. And then after about 20 minutes of that, I'm like, no, 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 it's Ronnie Moon. It's, I get emotional even thinking about it. It's Ronnie Moon who got me. There would have been no Jerry Sigler if it wasn't for Ronnie Moon. And um, and Ronnie's passed away, but you know I, I I'm getting a little bit upset here. But no, there was there would have been no Jerry Sigler. There would have been no Tony playing block chords if it wasn't for Ronnie Moon. So um, hats off to anybody out there that if if you could pass your knowledge or maybe say hey go to this guy for something for for different types of training or maybe a little more advanced. You know my hats off to that person. And that only makes that person look bigger in my eyes. Um, so yeah, I. That's why I don't like trash talkers, man. I I don't like, you know, especially if somebody's ever done anything to you personally. When the cool thing so Josh, is, do you, like, you guys still keep oh, the. I I was just wondering if you keep the same format as doing the two hour, you know, long training sessions or if you shortened it down now that it's, you know, easily commuted by most of the, the students. No, we, we, we pretty much kept a, a, a similar um, type of uh, type of schedule though. We tweaked some things because of, you know, COVID we had to, you know, shut the gym down, like, like, you know, every other business. And then, you know, as we opened it back up, you know, lost a lot of members and then it, it just didn't make sense. We would have beginners classes and advanced classes and all that fun stuff. And then um, when we reopened everything back up, you know, I basically said, listen, we're just going to do one class. We're going to have a mixed, you know, skill set of guys. Um, and we, I, I said, because we're going to kind of combine those two classes, we were able to extend, you know, the, the times to back. So like our beginner class used to be like an hour long. We just focus on technique. Most of the people were very, very green. So, you know, uh, having them roll, you know, at least for a, a little bit, you know, would have been counterintuitive to, to, uh, to them, uh, because they didn't even know how to move their body. You know, and that was the real big thing is, you know, getting these guys to, to, to just move on the mats safely to keep themselves safe and, and kind of learning, learning a, a, a bunch of things to then kind of release them into the wild with the advanced guys. Um, but then when COVID went away, I just said, you know what, we're going to do one big class. So the class is like an hour and a half or so of, hour, hour and a half, hour 15 of technique. Sometimes we go a little bit longer. You know, sometimes I, there's something that I really want to get out to the guys that's cohesive to what the path we're working. Cause I don't teach, you know, moves per se. 
I'll teach a, a technique flow um, where we're kind of moving from position to position to position um, and hitting submissions on the way or, or transitions and, 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 you know, like uh, uh, isolation holds and all that fun stuff. Um, so then it really just made sense to keep it, you know, kind of get back to where we used to be. And so the classes are about an hour and a half to an hour, 45 minutes worth of technique. And then after that, and sometimes, you know, we sprinkle in drilling and all that fun stuff. And then we'll roll for uh, af after class for about an hour. Um, and those will vary from, you know, uh, six minute uh, intervals uh, with like a 30 second break in between um, as, as high as if some guys are getting ready for certain competitions where they're, where they're going to compete is, you know, we're like going to have a 10 minute match. So then we'll do 10 minute matches. And then sometimes we don't even turn the thing on. We just, we just go at it and it could be like a half hour long match. And then I'll just yell out, all right, find a new partner. And then, you know, you just find somebody new. So, but it's, it's a heavy emphasis on practical application of what we've learned and then a heavy emphasis on uh, technique as well. And so, yeah, the classes usually end up being at minimum two and a half hours, but a lot of times they're like three hours. Sometimes, you know, we're, sometimes we're there late at night. It, it turns into like a four-hour training session, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's nice that you yeah. have the flexibility that, that, you know, that you can do that. You know, um, I know some people, not necessarily martial artists, but like, um, who, well, let's call it the fitness world, Pilates or yoga instructors. And, you know, and they basically rent space. So, like, if their class is an hour, it, it's an hour. You know, you, you can't make it a two, three-hour thing. So that's nice that you're in the ability, you know, you own the joint, you know, so you can, you can do that. Um, there's a, there's a two schools out this way um, about 15 minutes from where I live. They're just martial arts. They're not grapplers or anything like that. Um, it's pretty much just kids. They're only open for like two hours, a, 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 like three, three nights a week or something like that. It's not like a full-time school. But so obviously the instructors have day jobs or something, but I, you know, I sometimes wonder, you know, why don't they rent these, uh, why don't they rent the space out to, um, you know, like a yoga instructor or Pilates or, you know, something like that, you know, aerobics, uh, I don't know. Sometimes they do, you know, sometimes I have like a morning yoga class or a lot of times, you know, the, the business of like, especially traditional martial arts, if we're talking karate or Taekwondo, I mean, those schools have it dialed in from that four to 12 year old window. Of that's the students that they want. And it's a couple hours a day. And if they've got, they'll have hundreds and hundreds of kids. And, you know, so these, these instructors uh, are a lot of times the revenue stream is so high that they don't, it, it's not even a big deal. They're, they're not, they're not looking for, you know, you know, I've heard stories. I've had some students that um, were, were professional traditional martial arts instructors. Um, they basically did it for the paycheck and they would laughingly joke and say, Oh, I'm teaching, you know, I'm teaching kids how to fake fight. Uh, and then I'll sprinkle in some grappling in there. So just in case they get taken down, but they would be, the schools would be making, you know, 20, 30, $40,000 a month running classes in a very <laughs> short, very short window, you know, teaching let's, let's be honest, you know, good, good for, you know, good for discipline and, you know, all that fun stuff. But, you know, uh, a four to a 12-year-old, you know, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be tough um, to, to go up against, you know, even a seasoned boxer, you know, that let's say a 14-year-old seasoned boxer, you know, that's been getting hit 
they have no contact at these schools because they don't want to get any insurance claims. So like, it's all these, it's like this business of, of martial arts that, you know, unfortunately watered it down. Like the era that I grew up in, you know, when, when my father, you know, back in the, God, this would be like the late seventies, early eighties was training, you know, uh, karate or like the mixed formats of like grappling and, uh, you know, and, and some traditional martial arts, um, it was brutal, you know? And then over time they realized, well, it's hard to keep guys. It's hard to do that. And then, oh, well, kids are a good moneymaker. And, you know, fortunately for me, I don't have a kid's class, <laughs> um, you know, so I only teach adults, which, you know, I get a lot of, I get a lot of, uh, calls for people that, you know, are like, Hey, do you have a kid's class? And I'm like, I don't, you know, it's just, it's not for me. Um, and the beauty of being, you know, the, uh, the, owner is I get to kind of pick and choose what programs we do. Um, you know, so it's, so I just kind of cater the cater everything towards that. So I, so I, so that, that could be part of it. You know, it's a high revenue stream or maybe they do rent it out for yoga type scenarios. So you, yeah. you, hit, you hit something that's true. I, I talked to some real, real old timers, judo guys, like way up, they may even be dead now when judo was the number one martial art in America, you know, uh, in the 60s and 70s, and then it switched. And they said, man, it was hardcore. I mean, when we threw, we threw hard, and people were getting banged up. Uh, they were getting hurt. They were getting injured. And they're like, man, we couldn't keep, you know, we couldn't keep these people as adults because, you know, they had to go to work the next day. You know, if they're sure. all banged up or they got a black eye or something like boxing, you can't do that. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's, there is a niche market for um, the – let's call it semi-contact or no contact martial art. Um, I get, you know, I get that. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, but yeah, times change. Even when I was a kid, some of the, I never went to martial arts schools, but I knew people that did. Um, some of those, the schools, the more Kung Fu type schools, right. They were uh, very hardcore. I mean, I'm not going to say they were really effective, you know, cause they did a lot of bad things, but they were like, hard on each other they were hitting full contact kicking hard you know doing stuff i'm like yeah that's cool because that's what you're going to encounter uh in the inner city of cleveland man you know that's that's what you were going to run up against um so yeah it, it's just different times man so josh yeah. how, do, how, do, how do you guys negate injuries and like burnout because it sounds like you you guys are training really hard for like two hour sessions is there anything yeah. that you do to kind of do injury prevention or, or, you know, do you do slow down the tempo? Do you do, you know, not like maybe like 70% intensity or how do, how do you guys do it? Um, it, you know, it's, it's definitely changed throughout the years. It used to be much more hardcore back in the day. Like when Javier first started coming in, it was, it was a death match. Every time you walked into the gym, you know, most of us were either in our late twenties or mid to late twenties, you know, early thirties. Now all of us are either in our forties or, you know, some of my students are like in their fifties. So, you know, a lot of times the guys just slow down themselves. They kind of self-regulate and they, they go uh, a little bit um, lighter, especially in the, in the live roles. And there's like a self-regulating process that happens. Guys know who, not, you know, they're not going to roll with one of my students who's 55 who wrestled in college and his body's, you know, beat up and he's still getting after it and still loves it. So we, we, we slow it down when we're, we're going with, you know, guys like that. But then when I'm, when I, even still today, when I'm going with like my 20 year old, you know, animals that, that are, you know, 
you know, six, one, six, two, 195 pounds shredded. There's no, uh, slowing those guys down. So, so, so we're going, um, the biggest thing is, is I think over the years, uh, especially our, the season guys have learned to keep themselves safe in those scenarios and the control based principles that I just, that I preach so much really helps mitigate a lot of the craziness that happens because we're, we're just not letting our opponent do what they want to do. And they're just kind of along for the, for the ride and kind of, you know, they're like a spectator in, in, in the things that we're doing is the goal. Um, but we ramp up like the, the, the technique uh, drilling portion or the, or the technique portion is, is very compliant. Um, you know, so that a lot of it is, you know, the majority of our, of the students that are always going to be there are going to be relatively new guys. Um, so, you know, we're, we're having them work slow. We're teaching them how to learn their body. We're getting them into the positions with, you know, not tons of resistance, but just enough resistance to be able to get the right reaction that they need to do the move. And then drilling time, we ramp it up. And then rolling time, we don't really, you know, we don't, we don't really slow it down. We're, we're basically, we're going hard. Now, it's never as hard as it is in competition or an MMA fight because the, the adrenaline component isn't quite there. You know, it's just not as amped up as much. So you're not going... 130%, but you can get pretty, pretty close, you know, 90%, you know, and with the knowledge that they have, the guys know when to tap, you know, when, when they're really in danger, you know, and, and, and the guys push it and sometimes an injury can happen. Um, but it's, but it's, you know, few and far between, um, you know, with that, with that strong knowledge, knowledge base, they know when they're in danger and when they're not, you know, and, and some people train for different things. I know guys that just come and do technique and they, Maybe you'll get a light roll every once in a while. A lot of the older guys, but they're just kind of learning the art, you know, and they're, you know, kind of, kind of seeing, which is, you know, better than nothing, but, um, you know, but on, on one hand, they're missing out on a, on a really gnarly component if they ever have to use this stuff out in the streets, you know, in class, I'll reference this, you know, all the time, like, all right, in this world, you're going to see this and this, you know, in MMA, you know, this is going to be something uh, that you're going to see in you know, sport jujitsu, you're not going to see this, right? I'm not going to be mounted, you know, on top of somebody and pull out a knife in a sport jujitsu match. You know, you may see that on the street. You're definitely not going to see that in MMA. So I always reference to the guys like what world we're, uh, we're in. I've got some police officers that, you know, they're going to have to access their weapons or tasers. So we'll address all those things and kind of say, okay, this is what you're going to see. Here's this, this scenario is not going to be like, I'll teach like, uh, like a Google Plata, let's say. I'm like, you're never going to do this on the street. It's just not going to happen. I don't advocate jumping guard. You're not going to jump guard on the street where someone can just fall on top of you and slam your head off the concrete. You know, so it's like those scenarios will reference all that and, and you know, make sure the guys keep themselves safe at the end of the day because nobody's going to, you know, your training partners don't want to hurt you, you know, because I learned something from my mom as, as coming up with uh, as what, what, effectively would be a poor kid. Although I didn't, we didn't realize we were poor at the time. Uh, but when we look back as adults, we can recognize, okay, that was, that was not a normal lifestyle growing up in bad neighborhoods and, you know, which is just normal to us. It's just what we did, but um, I couldn't go to the store and, and get a new toy. So it was, so uh, my mom used to say, if you break your toys, you've got nothing to play with. And that really like st stuck in my head. And I impress upon that with the guys you know, and kind of like a funny light way to look at it is not that not that your students are your toys, but it's like, listen, if nobody comes to the gym because everybody's messed up, nobody's there to train. So, you know, we go hard. We we 
tell, keep each other safe. Um, and then only weird, you know, weird, random things happen. Like I, I've broken my toe teaching a technique. Um, I almost blew out my Achilles walking to the timer one time. It was the most ridiculous thing ever. Nobody was around <laughs> me. I just, I'm just walking over to the timer to set the timer and I like fall over and the guys are like, what just happened? I'm like, I don't know what the hell happened to my Achilles. <laughs> I just sit there. The guys had to help me up. It was the most ridiculous thing that, that had ever happened. Nobody around, no injury, no previous injury, no nothing. Where like it was, I was walking on like a sprained ankle and it went out. It was nothing. And it just, <laughs> and I was messed up for like a month. Didn't even make any sense to me. So like weird shit happens all the time you know, in, in those contexts, but we definitely try to keep each other safe so that we can go hard. You know, most of the guys don't train six days a week. Um, guys like Javier and myself and a couple of the other guys are probably have an unhealthy addiction to this stuff <laughs> in the sense of our bodies take the, the brunt of, of, uh, us needing to get our grappling fix. Um, so, but yeah, six days a week, it's, gets tough, but you know, we just try to keep ourselves safe, keep our opponents safe. Cause once again, I want to be at the gym the next day and the next day and the next day, you know, to, to, to keep going. You do anything for a recovery to keep yourself recovering better. Yeah. I, you know, I actively stretch, obviously there's a big component in the, in the 10th planet system um, that, uh, that requires a fair amount of flexibility. Although throughout the years we figured out ways to adjust body position and change angles and stuff like that to, to where you don't have to rely on, ridiculous flexibility like what you see online um but yeah there's definitely strength training components i don't you know do your traditional bodybuilding type workouts i do a lot with kettlebells i do a lot with like big sandbags or like bulgarian bags um you know i guess it would be the the cadence that i work out in would be considered more towards like a strongman type of thing bigger heavier compound lifts uh, where you're activating most of your body which in my opinion, translates, you know, pretty decently over to the grappling arts, um, you know, and using like sandbag stones and, and stuff like that. And just taking the volume down um, as I get older, the the volume of, of, you know, it's just too much strain on the joints and the tendonitis and all that stuff. So I do a bit more um, low volume, you know, higher, higher weight type of scenarios. Um, and then I'll do like movement and mobility drills just to, keep loose and kind of counteract what we're doing in the gym. And then I go get like chiropractic treatments and, and, you know, stuff like that, just because, you know, I got a lot of compression injuries from, you know, from high velocity throws uh, back when I was younger in wrestling. Um, and that's kind of carried through to my, my adult, uh, my adult life. So I, I get regular, you know, body work done so I can stay on the mats and, and that, you know, when I was younger, I didn't spend as much time doing that, although I should have. And then now as I get older, I spend a little, I put a little bit more emphasis on the recovery. I don't really do well with rest. Like I said, I train six days a week. I'm on the mats every, every just about every training session. Um, and uh, I don't sleep very well. I've never really slept well. So I'm up all, you know, you know, I only get a few hours worth of sleep a night. Um, so that's, you know, that's probably the, the, big, the, the biggest component, but you know, and then I listen to my body. That's the other thing too. And I've learned as I'm older, it's like, if I got something that's going on, you know, if I got like a, a tweaked ankle or, um, uh, you know, like I got a broken toe or, or something like that, I really just do things to not let anybody get anywhere near that. And then just, you know, keep myself safe and just listen to the body as much as I don't want to, you know, I, I just want to go a thousand percent every single day. Um, 
you know, I, I had, uh, I forgot who, who said this. It was somebody, somebody said it, it wasn't me, but, uh, they said when they return their body, when their time is done, they want them to throw this body in a, in a junkyard. They're not going to be able to reuse this. And I kind of want to live my life in that, in that fashion too, is, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want, uh, you know, I don't necessarily want to, uh, to, if I, I feel like if I'm feeling no pain or no aches or anything like that, like I may not have lived a very decent life, you know, life wasn't exciting enough for me. So I want to, I want to hand it back to him, you know, with kind of like a broken body as I'm an old man, you know, uh, kind of like, you know, my great grandfather, you know, was a, a semi-professional soccer player back in the old country. Um, and then, you know, they came over, they were coal miners and, you know, these were hard, hard people. And, you know, he went, you know, they would go and play soccer every weekend, but it was really, they were there to fight. Um, you know, so that all that, you know, and street fighting and all the, all those years of all that, you know, getting all that, uh, uh, that aggression out, um, that I feel like is ingrained in all of our DNA. Um, you know, when you're, when you're an old man, you don't, you don't really need to be, you know, doing much. Like I want to be like him, you know, a tree fell on him and broke his hip and he was you know bedridden. So not quite that far, but like sitting in the rocking chair, you know, maybe I'll need some help to walk around, you know, but I can sit back and, and, uh, you know, reminisce on the stories, you know, with the grandkids and all that stuff, uh, all the crazy stuff that grandpa used to do, you know, that's, that's kind of how I want to end the story, you know? Yeah. I, I used to tell my ex-wife, I want to be the world's strongest couch potato when I get, yeah. old. That's what I want. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, no, it, it's interesting because I, I got a few years on you and I get those freak injuries and that's the biggest thing. The injuries, they, they take a while to, um, well, sometimes they never heal properly, but I wouldn't trade. I'm, and I know by listening to you, you would never trade anything you've ever done. You would never say I would not do it. I'm the same way. I would do it all over again. I really would. I, I don't have any regrets about that. So real quick, um, I wanted to, you know, mention like we had talked earlier about like, you know, or you were talking about the the different like, you know, jazz, jazz musicians and all that fun stuff. So I think part of the reason why I have so much respect for you is because of Javier. Like I knew who you were back in the day. Um, when I was, when I was wrestling, you know, my grandfather worked in stone park, which we all have fond memories of stone park. Right. So, you know, uh, so like, it's this, you know, this, this common, you know, Chicago, uh, theme. So I, I knew who you were. Um, and I remember seeing the stuff way back in the day and I'm like, wow, look at this brutal stuff. Um, and so, but the, the beauty was, is that when Javier came to me originally, you know, he like, he like asked, he's like, Hey, when I'm rolling with the guys, is there some stuff I can't do? I said, just don't hurt them. That's all I said. I was just, just don't hurt them. I said, these guys yeah. need to learn this stuff. You know, I'm like, just be a, you know, be a gentleman out there, you know? And, 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 and that was a huge value. And then as, as Javier and I started training together and, you know, I think that was part of the reason why he came to me is because I wasn't going to say you can't, you can't do leg locks or you can't do these, you know, gnarly spine compressions and all that. Like, I was like, yeah, do whatever you want. It's all good. We don't, we don't care. And that's kind of like, that helped cultivate, you know, the, the relationship because, you know, you were effectively Javi's first grappling coach, you know, and, and probably his longest, you know, instructor over time. And then I think I come second in terms of, uh, you know, over, over time. And I think that's part of the reason why I hold you in such high regard is, you know, because of spending so much time with Javier, it's almost like, I feel like I've spent all these years with you as well. You know, with those going back and forth with those with the, all the stories and 
and all the training modalities. And when, when many, many years ago, I saw a trend happening in, in competition jujitsu. And that was right before the, I would say it was probably maybe like two, two years before the leg lock craze really started to kick off many, many years ago. And I told Javier, I said, I know, you know, a lot of leg locks and you know more leg locks than I do. I had known some very Shuto style, very uh, basic type leg scenarios. My very first submission ever uh, was a straight ankle lock. And I got yelled at, at the, at the Academy for doing it, you know? And I was like, all right, that doesn't make sense. Whatever. I'm like, nobody got hurt. But so I really told Javi, I was like, the guys need to get on this before it's too late, before we're behind the eight ball, you know? And so then I was like, let's, you know, I, I know you got all this knowledge. Let's start sharing this knowledge. And he, he was super pumped about it. And then that eventually turned into the class that Javi taught. And then eventually, you know, now we're, we're coming up here soon. Javi is hopefully going to create his own academy, which is, which is wild as well. It's kind of like seeing one of your babies go off and kind of do his own thing. It's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, that uh, we kind of get to share in that legacy. Well, that's, you know, he's a great man. Again, everybody talks about his grappling skills and they're there. They're world-class. He's a world champion, but he's a hundred times better of, as a human being. There's just, you can't, I challenge anybody to, to scour the world and find somebody as, as kind, as considerate, as, as nice as Javier. I, you might find somebody close, but he's hard. You know, I've never seen anybody like him. But you did mention the spine compressions. Now, just be careful because what a lot of people don't know is when Javier first started training with me, Javier was six foot three. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's oh, just awesome. a great guy, man. I just want, I want, you know, I just want everything to go good for him. And, you know, um, Eventually, the world championships will stop. He's going to get older. Life gets in the way or something happens. But nobody can take away what he's already had, you know, what are, you know, everything that he accomplished. It's just it's never going to go away. Um, yeah. he, and he's I remember when he talked on the phone to Lou Fez. Lou couldn't Lou wasn't here in Chicago. I had just I think I had just come back from from seeing Lou. And I said, you want to talk to Lou? You know. We were in my apartment. I called him up and I, you know, oh man, he was like a kid in a candy store, you know, so respectful. And um, he always had that thirst for knowledge, sometimes too much. You know, I said, you know, Javier, you know, sometimes slow down, you know, enjoy, enjoy this moment, <laughs> Del delve in it a little bit more. But, you know, he's, he's just awesome, you know. Um, and hopefully if, if he does open to the academy by then, I, I'll probably be back in the city. Uh, um, things are, I don't want to get into it here on the podcast, but things are changing rap quite rapidly over here um, this past week. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to get an opportunity to, to maybe work out at his gym or, and I want to stop in and see your place. I don't know when that'll be probably, you know, after the first of the year, I can cut loose. Uh, we'll see, but you're only there in the evenings, correct? We're only there in the evenings. Yeah. So, yeah. and, and uh, at least for now, you know, with, uh, for throughout the whole pandemic, I was, uh, I was like a, you know, stay at home dad, teacher, all that fun stuff, which worked out well that I was only teaching classes in the evening. So I could hang out with the, the kids and do all that fun stuff during the day. So that worked out actually pretty, pretty nice. And I feel like I, you know, got a really good opportunity to connect with the little ones. Um, but at some point we'll, we'll do some day stuff. Um, I don't know when that'll be, um, as my kids get older, that makes that easier to, uh, to accomplish. Um, and then 
by the time probably you make it to the gym, it's, it's going to be ridiculous. We're in the process of kind of doing our last, I guess I would call it our last renovation to the, to the gym. Um, we're, we're kind of blowing out the back wall. We haven't started yet. I'm waiting for the landlord to send me the paperwork, but we're going to ex- kind of do our final expansion at this location. And if I ever need to move after this, I'm, I might as well just, you know, buy a giant building or, or spec build something out. Um, so yeah, it'll be, it'll be a large training facility, um, which I'm very fortunate that I have a great team that believes in what we do and they continue to, you know, support the the gym and we can do these really, you know, awesome things and, you know, give the guys this massive space to train in. And then at some point, you know, like I told Javier, when you had moved away, I said, you know, get in touch with Tony and let him know that if he ever needs to do anything, we've always got a space at the gym, you know, for you guys. So, you know, I, everyone, everyone benefits off of the knowledge and on top of that. And if, you know, so for for sure, because I'm up in the air. I, again, when we log off, I'll don't hang up. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. I'll kind of give you a fill in, but, um, no, you've always been kind and generous. We have a lot in common. You know, you said your family was coal miners. My dad and, and his father, my grandfather on my dad's side, were both coal miners. Um, it's wild. It's weird. You know, uh, my dad was a sectional foreman for 28 years. Uh, the cancer got to him. Like The cancer got to my grand, you know, his father and my grandfather from being, you know, black lung for him. Um, but my grandpa that raised me was a boxer, you know, and he had jobs. But, uh, yeah, my dad's side. Yep. Western Pennsylvania, man. Um, not far from the West Virginia, Ohio border and shit. Uh, small world, really. Yeah. It, it is. It's strange. Our backgrounds, because we never really had a chance to talk because I'd show up at the seminar and then, or, you know, then we, you know, split. But no, it's just great having you on here. I see that it's getting late now, but we may have to log off. But uh, let me just say that uh, two things. We, we've talked a lot about Javier, um, we, we've actually talked about Ronnie Moon and Jerry Sigler, but I got to tell you, when I saw Josh, because I never met, didn't know him, and I watch everybody when they're doing my moves, you know, at a seminar, and, and it's not like, do they know my move? I don't expect them to know my move. It's about how do they move? Do they move athletically? Do they move, you know, like they know what they're doing? And Josh hit an A++ on that shit. I knew that he was an athlete. I knew that um, he had this unbelievable, uncanny uh, sense of body awareness. I don't expect, like I say, anybody to automatically pick up on a move that they've never seen before or haven't spent much time. That's not, this, that's not what I look at. I look at what, how does this guy move? How does he keep his hands up or, or whatever, you know, all the little details. So I can tell just by that, and, and how you were receptive to learning techniques. And uh, I, I can tell anybody in the listening audience, especially those down there in Chicago, do not pass up the opportunity to, to train with Josh if you have that opportunity. Uh, and if you don't, try to make that opportunity. It's, it's worth it. Uh, and he sounds like he's got a great bunch of guys. Um, you can't go wrong. I mean, what, I'm excited just to, you know um, – for me, I can't leave this house at all, but there may be a slight possibility that I might be able to maybe next month get out, but only during the morning. Even if you're not there, you'll have to give me the address. So if I can make it to Chicago, I'll just do a drive-by 
just so I can look in the window and see what it looks like. Cause I'm really curious, you know? Uh, but yeah, everybody that's listening on this, just check it out. Um, I, I, I just can't say enough about Josh uh, as a person. If, if you're, for, you're, you're familiar with this area, cause this is your old stomping ground. So do you, do you know where like three counties is off yeah. of Milwaukee? Mm-hmm. We're like a, we're like a block away. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's like, right, you know, we're right, we're right there, you know, so it's right in the, right in the heat of it. So, yeah. Well, I normally, I normally hang out, uh, Gunnison in Austin, you know, right on the trailing edge of Jeff Park. Uh, and then I'll sometimes go down Montrose getting over there to where you're at is a no brainer. Okay. I'll check it out if I can, you know. Yeah. We're basically at Milwaukee and basically at Milwaukee and Austin is like real, real close to where we're at. So right on the main strip. Yeah. You're not far. I'm Gunnison. I, I hang out around that Gunnison Austin area. So I'll just, yep. and you're right by the fruit. You're not far from the, uh, from the expressway. Nope. Yep. We're right. Kind of like, you know, where everything kind of turns into that V where, you know, 94 heads, uh, heads North and 90 heads West. We're kind of sitting in that little V pocket, you know, yeah. like I said, right down the street from the, the police station that's, that's there. So we're, we're, we're right in it. So. Hey, did, did Gale street Inn open up again or no? Do you know? Uh, I, I don't know, to be honest with you. I haven't heard anything. I know a lot of the boys used to hang out there. You know, they go and uh, sometimes get into some mischief, and, and but a lot of times they would head out. I'm not sure if it's open or not since, you know, through the pandemic. So much of, you know, so much of, you know, Chicago has been, you know, and much like all the other cities has been hit really hard with, with that. So um, a lot of these places hopefully will open back up. Um, I know a couple of the, there's like a little bar across the street and then one down the street. Um, that have that have been open. I think some of them never shut down. You know, it's yeah. good, good for them. You know, go through the back door, whatever. You know, um, which is good for for them at least. You know, these mom and pop businesses. You know, kind of keeping everything going. So it's, it's good for them. But yeah, we're we're right right all in the right in that mix. So, well, again, it was a pleasure having you on, and we we you know we'd be honored if you can come back again, and you know, or if you have something coming up, an event or whatever, and you can't make it on the podcast. Give myself or give Joe, actually, it's easier to deal with him. Um, give Joe that information and we'll certainly uh, give a shout out. Um, and yeah, maybe one of these days, maybe all of us, Nico as well, if he's around, we'll go out and we'll get some pasta, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, it'll, it'll to have Sabatino. to be when I'm not competing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, I used to go to Sabatino's all the time and they, oh, they yeah. shut that down. That's gone. So I yeah. go to all. Um, La Villa, uh, La Scarola. There's a place called Ignats that I have. That's on South Oakley, though, 26. I haven't been there in many, many years. But mainly it's Ignats. Or, I mean, excuse me, it's uh, uh, La Villa because it's easy. You know, it's yeah. right by the, the freeway. And uh, and La Scarola is awesome. But yeah. you got to have – you really need to have reservations to get in there. But, right. Uh, or you got to know someone. <laughs> well, I know I know Joey Mondelli, the owner, but <laughs> uh, you know, and Bobby Dominic right next door to owns. Yeah. He actually owns the building. But anyway, Joe, why don't you log on and uh, you know and and say our goodbyes? Uh, I want to again thank thank Josh and thanks everybody out there for listening in. And Nico and Joe, take it away. Yeah, thank just thanks for coming, Josh. It's been uh, I've been looking forward to talking with you for a long time and I always wanted to go check out the uh, 10th planet gym. So maybe we'll head over there sometime. You guys yeah. are always welcome. And, and once again, thank you guys for the, 
the kind words. And this was, this was definitely a, a privilege and an honor for me. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to do it again. And, you know, definitely excited to get some pasta at some, at some point, and yeah. then we'll go from there. Yeah. What do you awesome. think of that? I'm all for it, man. Uh, I'm all about the pasta, man. And this is a great show. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, yeah. And I hope we have you back and uh, yeah, everybody out there definitely uh, check out Josh's school. It's, it's more than worth it. So awesome. Great show guys. All right, guys. So we'll see everybody next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.